Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this week's episode, if you could conjure up one crazy, event-filled day, what would happen? That's what novelist Maria Semple decided to do in her new book, Today Will Be Different. She says the first page came to her in a flash. Today will be different. Today I will be present. Today, anyone I'm speaking to, I will look them in the eye and listen deeply. Today, I'll play a board game with Timby. I'll initiate sex with Joe. Today, I will take pride in my appearance. I'll shower, get dressed in proper clothes, and only change into yoga clothes for yoga, which today, I will actually attend. If you don't already love Maria Semple's Seattle Brood writing, Her new work may pull you in. Just one day in the life of protagonist Eleanor Flood will likely leave you wanting more. And as Semple says, if you or someone you know has ever had a conversation with her, there's a chance it will show up in one of her books. Maria Semple's other works include This One Is Mine and Where'd You Go, Bernadette? She spoke at Town Hall Seattle on October 8, 2016. Her appearance was sponsored by the Elliott Bay Book Company. Thanks to Sonia Harris for our recording. Here, Elliott Bay's Rick Simonson introduces Maria Semple. Please note, this production includes themes and language of an adult nature. On behalf of everyone at Elliott Bay, um, which is, we are all delighted that you're here and, um, and extremely delighted and excited that we are here tonight on the occasion of Maria Semple, um, who has um, actually started since this wonderful new book, Today Will Be Different, got published, was out of town with it. So tonight's really the beginning of her, of her home city um, celebration and publication of this book. Um, and um, we, in this, we've been talking backstage, everything from... It, it is interesting that Maria has now had three novels, and each of them has been done in an election year. Um, LAUGHTER this one is mine. Was a little overshadowed by Barack Obama initially getting elected, um, so that's that may be understandable. But what happened four years ago when Where'd You Go, Bernadette was published, um, we certainly had this great initial response. And this book that had Seattle and 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 the, all these goings on in at, at its heart. And then we were realizing everyone else in the country also was um, on to this book. And so that book, and of course that election didn't, wasn't, didn't have quite as much going on in it in terms of drama, and certainly in this state where no one even comes to campaign, um, it took off. Uh, and now um, in a year where we really need some relief and release um, from things, it's, the timing of this book is um, auspicious and um, and I think, uh, but to leave the election alone, just to say it is um, a book that, um, unlike four years ago where uh, we had our sort of, I think we had a little sense of this book to ourselves before everyone else was on to it. This book, this time people really elsewhere do know um, what she has done and is doing. And um, this has been manifest in reviews coming out, and you will, as you have gotten your copies tonight, uh, we'll get to see in, in this day in the life of Eleanor Flood and her husband Joe and her son Timby and all that happens um, in, in, in Seattle with some, with some detours into past and other places. But it's a 
marvelous and and book that that does have its humor, but also as Where'd You Go, Bernadette, um, also does for all the talk of the humor in the book, um, has these other telling um, kernels of life truth and and which are not always easy and, and funny. It's sometimes that point where things are so serious that you have to laugh. And um, what Eleanor is trying to figure out in her life. Um, from the most kind of basic things of how to, you know, get, get life re- re- redirected in the way we all tr- try and do to bigger questions um, are things that Maria writes about here. It's a book that has um, many pleasures in it. It's got, uh, in the middle of it, there's a graphic novel or a graphic narrative form that um, Eric Chase Anderson, I believe, is, if, if you read the credits, um, did the artwork for. But it also has original artwork by her daughter, Poppy Meyer. Um, uh, Poppy is here. Yes. Maybe afterwards, Poppy will also help sign. We'll see. Um, uh, but it's um, a marvelous book. The other things I can say, I can go on about the book, but you're, the best part is you're going to get to hear Maria do the book. Um, but I want to say a little in the time that we've gotten to know Maria and George and Poppy since they've been really become part of Seattle is this other part they've done. I mean, writing these books is, is, is the most amazing thing, but... But there's also been this great and, and remarkable thing of helping you know, everything from supporting other writers to supporting many of the other literary enterprises around, um, around the city and, around, and elsewhere in the country and being very connected and supportive in this sort of behind-the-scenes way that you don't always see of, of support for other writers, including um, very unknown writers. I mean, there's, it's easier to sometimes, you know, with someone who's sort of well-known to jump on the, that kind of a bandwagon, but Maria's shown up at the at LA Bay for less-known writers and, and, um, and sort of, you know, turned around and said, have you read this book? I mean, she's one of those people you, when you have these conversations... Um, she, she sort of you're, you're kept on your toes because you know she's active and taking things in. I will also say she's also been a great um, supporter and champion um, for all of us who work in bookstores, our, our own, in, you know, and elsewhere independent stores. As um, there have been various swirling controversies about the book business, and um, and I can tell you one short Maria story or that of many one could tell. But a few years ago, when they had one of those days where the book authors come into bookstores to um, help be, sell books, I mean, they would recommend books as Indy's, Indy's first day, that uh, Sherman Alexi here actually helped initiate this whole idea. And Maria was in the store, and you could hear across the way, you know, she's going, what are you doing? Are you taking pictures of these books? Are you going to buy them at Amazon? You know, she would just, you heard this across the store. And... We, we've seen this happen. We are sometimes like, oh, God, this is happening. But Maria was calling him on it. And uh, no, no, uh, no, no uh, you know, tiptoeing around it. She was going right for it. And in a way, we all were going, yes. Um, but we all were trying to, well, you know, sort of Maria, that's, uh, being, you know. But she, she carries that um, heartfulness with her um, throughout life and as far as I know. And uh, certainly all of us, as, as we get to know her, and certainly in these books. So... Tonight she will read from and talk about to, uh, today will be different, and, uh, and then she will um, take questions. We have microphones here for that. And, and then the books you got um, as you come in, I, most of them, I believe, are signed, but she will personalize, so she'll sit at this table here. I will say one last thing because of this day of rain and gray and bluster. I, Marie also, you know, she has these things, and one of the things about this book coming into it was its cover, 
And I remember we, we, some of us got to see different ideas of the cover. And she got the cover she wanted. And if you look, it's a gray on gray. I mean, it's, you know, this is a Seattle cover with some green in it. It's a, it's, you don't get gray on gray. Um, but the New York publishing people were trying to go, oh, no, it's got to be yellow. It's got to be something bright. And it, it does have an orange spine. But it's, 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 it's the most Seattle cover you can get. Um, and, um, you know, bless Maria for, for that um, you know, doing all that. So, um, thank you all again for being here tonight. And now, please join in welcoming our very wonderful and special and dear Maria Semple. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. And I want to especially thank all of you for coming out and spending this night with me to kill two hours before tomorrow night's debate. (laughs) Of all the things you could be doing to kill time, thank you. I wrote uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? from a place of a lot of emotional pain. I had just moved to Seattle. I'd had a book published that... I naively thought would just sell well, um, and, and I was naive. I didn't realize that most books, when you write them, uh, they don't get reviewed and they kind of go away. And I'd come from TV where everyone kind of knew what show you were working on and knew what you did. And so when I, I had this book called my first book, This One Is Mine, that came out that, that kind of died, I felt this terrible... Uh, public shame, which actually was irrational, but I, I, I felt that. You know, I, I could talk myself into, oh, no, there's no shame in writing a book, and you have a good publisher, and at least you're you, you proud that you could uh, have a book with your name on it in a bookstore, and isn't that accomplishment enough? But um, it wasn't. And, uh, and so instead of taking responsibility for myself, um, I decided to blame an entire city of people I didn't know, which was you. Uh, And I would be kind of nursing my humiliation and driving around the streets of Seattle and cursing the drivers and cursing the mothers at school and just cursing anything that came in my way. And I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and ranting on about Seattle and how much I couldn't stand it here and how I'd never write again, that I was such a failure. And he said to me, Maria, you're a writer. Writers must write. If you do not write, you will become a menace to society. (laughs) And in that moment, I thought, I know what my book is. My next book is me being a menace to society. (laughs) If if I never got over this sense of self-pity, this kind of toxic uh, blaming of other people for for something they didn't do... um, I was about to take a shot at you people with gray hair, but I didn't. See? Isn't that nice? It was so easy. It was, I'm, I'm like Donald Trump. I could have done it. I didn't. Um, uh, <laughs> and so, um, and so I, knew, I knew what the book was, and I wrote it, and it just came out in this burst, and it was very specific, and, and um, it, it almost it, it felt like this act of madness that it was so specific and strange, and I didn't try to make it at all relatable. I just wanted to make it so pure to what my, my um, emotional experience was, and then I just let my imagination fly. And so 
Bernadette came out, obviously, and, and it did well, and people liked it. And so it, it solved the big problem, which was that, uh, poor me, I'm not a successful writer. And then suddenly I was a su- su- successful writer. I had a new book to write, and I had nothing to complain about or to suffer about. Um, you would think, but somehow people can clutch unhappiness out of the, uh, <laughs> the circumstances of happiness. And so I, I, I trusting that I could find something to write about, but not knowing what it was, not knowing what the new book would be. And, and at this point, the book was, I think, a year and a half overdue, so I really had to get on it. Um, I, I decided that I would just sit down and try to see if I could tap into some kind of rich vein of unhappiness uh, that, that, that could be my fuel that I could base a book on. And, and I thought, let's just see what's in there. You know, um, let's just... Well, I would say for a moment, put aside the fact that I have nothing to complain about, but um, maybe that lasted for more than a moment But uh, on most days. But so I, I went into my writing room. I got out my yellow pad and my sharpened pencils, which is how I write, and it was before... Um, my family was awake, and I went at about 5.30 or 6 in the morning, and I just thought, let's just see what what's in here. What What's the part of me that I'm very ashamed of, that I feel really bad about, that I don't want the world to see? And what I wrote turned out to be the first page of my book. And I really had no idea that I was writing the, the first page of a book, but I'm going to read to you, this is almost verbatim, uh, what I wrote that morning. And um, the, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> Today will be different. Today I will be present. Today anyone I'm speaking to, I will look them in the eye and listen deeply. Today I'll play a board game with Timby. I'll initiate sex with Joe. Today I will take pride in my appearance. I'll shower, get dressed in proper clothes, and only change into yoga clothes for yoga, which today I will actually attend. (laughs) Today I won't swear. I won't talk about money. Today there will be an ease about me. My face will be relaxed, its resting place a smile. Today I will radiate calm. Kindness and self-control will abound. Today I will buy local. See, I always have to get the digs in. Um, (laughs) Today I will be my best self, the person I'm capable of being. Today will be different. And I thought, wow, I think that I need, I'm, I'm now going to write a book that takes place in a day about a woman who doesn't have a lot of problems, um, yet is deeply disappointed in herself and feels like, Every day on on a microtransactional level is just a series of personal failures uh, and and so then I just thought that sounds fun and, and uh, i 'll spend two years doing that uh, so I spent two years on that and i um and 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 so it's so it's it it's it's follows Eleanor flood over the course of a day this day that she vows she 's just um not going to make the world a better place. In fact, she says all she wants to do is not make the world a worse place. So it's a very modest goal that she sets for herself, a uh, very low bar. And, um, and so a, a lot of stuff happens during the course of the day. And, but but it, is, it is essentially an ordinary 
day. And so, and I played with the form, you'll see. There's some fun stuff in it. There's a big third-person section. There's a graphic novel. There's poems. There's various kind of fun things in here. So the next section I'm going to read is... It's, it takes place kind of in the middle of the book, but it's not giving much away. And it doesn't give more away that's on the fl- flap copy, which is what we in publishing call that stuff on the inside of the, uh, on the flap. But so I feel like I can tell you enough about this. So, so basically, what, one of the things that happens is she thinks that, that her husband Joe might be having an affair. That something happens that makes her go in, into a scenario in her mind by which he could be having an affair, and then she thinks that actually it it might really be happening. And, and it's the first time that she's kind of dealing with this realization that, that this actually could be the case. And so just to set up the scene, she's with her dog Yo-Yo. What I really should have done is brought my dog Ralphie because he's Yo-Yo. He's so cute, but you would have just ignored me because he's too cute. Um, and so, so, it, so she's with her dog Yo-Yo, and she is um, walking in the sculpture park, and she's by the water. Now, it's very true to Seattle except for things like there's a Costco over next to the sculpture park, but don't hate me. I know there isn't one. Um, and, and also, that's where the squid boats come in, uh, which I don't think is the case. But so in my, in my Seattle. There's a Costco over there, and the, that's where the squid boats come in. And so, so there's a boat that's come in that has that that a uh, tattooed chef, as Eleanor says. Are there any other kinds? Um, uh, a tattooed chef is buying a squid uh, from from the fishing boat, and she's this has been going on, and she's kind of noticed them. And meanwhile, she's there with her dog, and she's just kind of kind of uh, we're in her head. And so, here I'm going to read this part. Joe is her husband. For years, I'd been cataloging traits of Joe's that annoyed me, things I'd be relieved to have out of my life should he ever decide to leave me. The gratitude list, I called it. Number one. When I get out of the shower and ask Joe to hand me a towel, he'll invariably hand me a damp one. (laughs) Two, he has never once offered to walk yo-yo. He'll walk yo-yo, but only after making me play the harridan. Number three, when we go out to restaurants, he puts uneaten dinner rolls in his socks so they don't go to waste. (laughs) Number four, Said dinner rolls get placed on his bedside table until he notices them a week later, at which point he hands them to me and asks me to, quote, use them in something. (laughs) Number five, every time we go to a movie and it starts 20 minutes late because of the previews, Joe goes nuts, showing me his watch, informing me and everyone else in the theater what time the movie was scheduled to begin. Number six, when we run a fan to cool down a room, he insists at point facing into the room, not out, which just seems wrong. Number seven, he puts sriracha on everything I make, even waffles. My gratitude list was self-protection. I started composing it the morning after Joe and I first said I love you at Dojo's on St. Mark's Place. Bob Marley's legend was playing in the background. This was New York in the 90s. When wasn't legend playing in the background? 
Joe was due at the hospital at 5.30 a.m. He'd showered and dressed quietly enough, but then he sat at the end of my bed, on my feet, and put on his shoes. Just so you don't take me for a complete scorekeeping bitch, which I am, but there's better evidence. (laughs) Joe freely admits he's essentially selfish. It's the single piece of insight he received the one time he went to a shrink. Me, on the other hand, I've been to nine shrinks in 20 years, and I'm still like, wait, what? (laughs) This selfishness, according to Joe's miracle shrink, was a response to being one of seven children. Every time a a box of Quisper Quake was unpacked from the grocery bag, kids descended on it in a feeding frenzy. Joe shared a room with three brothers. Control of the TV remote, a private place to read Playboy, Everything a cage match to the death. The fault, of course, lay with the Catholic Church, who encouraged lower-class families to reproduce like rodents and build up the church's ranks, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Another item for the gratitude list, no more Joe railing against religion. In fact, that dinner at Dojo's, it wasn't Rasta Bob singing, I'm going to love you every day and every night, that inspired Joe to declare the three words that sealed our fate. It was the following discussion of the New Testament. Joe, it's doggerel, aggrandizing a moody egomaniac, written by men who believed heaven was a hundred feet above their heads. Literally, so when Christ descended, he didn't go higher than a seven-story building. (laughs) Me, who cares? (laughs) Joe, The hours I wasted listening to that contradictory claptrap, the things I could have done with that time. I could have learned another language or leather craft. (laughs) Me. I was brought up Catholic too, you know. When I was seven, they were teaching us about the loaves and the fishes. I raised my hand and said, that couldn't really happen. Sister Bridget, not happy, answered, faith requires the mind of a child. I said, but I am a child. She replied, a younger child. I thought, what a load of malarkey and never looked back. Joe, so you just turned atheist? Wasn't it a struggle? Me, let's nod and say we did is my attitude. Joe, I love you. Me. I knew it was a blurt that didn't count, but still, you got to jump on these things. I love you too, Joe. (laughs) Had I lost him, might there be someone else? Now we're back into the present, and she's back on the sculpture garden where the squid boats come in. In my Seattle. (laughs) Yo-Yo's eyes were closed, and his face was raised to the sun. The fisherman helped the tattooed chef load the squid into an ice chest. I caught them looking at me. Had they been talking about me? I gave them a nod. They carried on their business. I revisited my gratitude list. Oh, another one. Joe reads in bed long after I go to sleep. No amount of passive-aggressive tossing and turning on my part, nor looking at the clock, nor dramatically putting a pillow over my head will make him turn off the light. When he finally does, he'll sometime rest his book on me. (laughs) And these aren't slim volumes of of poetry. They're Winston Churchill biographies. 
and Winston Churchill lived a very full life. <laughs> the van door slammed. The fisherman was gone. The chef came around the side. Our eyes caught. I held my gaze. So did he. It's not that I wanted to get anything going with this guy, but this was too weird. And then he was walking towards me with an intrigued half-smile. I don't put my hair in a clip for one day and this happens? <laughs> a hot chef, knowing he's got a squid in the back of his van, boldly crosses a parking lot to start up a conversation with a middle-aged woman? This brave new world could not have come at a better time. I have to ask, he said. I have to answer. What kind of dog is this? <laughs> I was as desirable as a hedge. That's what happens when you lose your sex drive. I can put on Belgian dresses, wear my hair down, and flirt garishly. But when it came to real currency, sexual currency, I had none. I offered the chef the leash. He's a mutt, I said. Want him? <laughs> wow, he said. No. But thanks, he sure is cute. With that, my gentleman caller disappeared into the ether. It's not like I don't come with my own grab bag of flaws. Although Joe is far too superior to catalog his grievances towards me, they might include, one, once I ate a bagel on the toilet. <laughs> two, I use too much floss. Three, I floss in bed. Four, I take the dog into the shower with me to wash him. <laughs> Five, I take my first bite of popcorn at the movies by touching my tongue to the top of the popcorn and eating what sticks. <laughs> but Joe always says he doesn't want popcorn because it's too salty. So it's mine, and can I eat it the way I want? Six, I toss milk duds into the popcorn. Seven, Actually, I bite the milk duds into four pieces and spit them back into the popcorn. <laughs> so they're smaller, giving me a better popcorn to milk dud ratio. <laughs> yes, they're covered in saliva, but it's my saliva. Though I can see how, to someone reaching into the popcorn they said they weren't going to eat, it could be an issue. <laughs> Joe wouldn't say this because he's a gentleman, but I will. I'm looking worse by the day. I'm all jowly. My back is dry. I have a bush the size of a dinner plate. My core strength is non-existent. Menopause means your metabolism skids to a stop and you lose 30% of your muscle mass. In other words, the self-discipline to watch my weight, which I never had to begin with, I would now need more of. Really, I'm hanging by a thread. Even Yo-Yo, bored with the hot sun, let out a snorty yawn. Come on, gratitude list, work your magic. I haven't nursed you all these years for nothing. The whole idea was when Joe finally hit the eject button, I'd feel free too. Kind of like that first shower after getting my hair chopped off. Those first steps in a new pair of cushiony running shoes. Seeing the world through a new, stronger prescription lens. Could this be happening? Could the elixir I'd been squirreling away for decades have lost its fizz? 
Was it me? Was it Joe? Was it the passage of time? Was I too tired to care? Earlier this year, I told a mother at school I'd been married 15 years. She asked, what's the secret to a long marriage? I thought for a second, then answered, staying married. (laughs) Was it happiness I'd found in my long marriage or capitulation? Or is that all happiness is, capitulation? The story of our marriage was in frames all over our apartment, Joe and I riding to the Emmys in the back of a limo, me surprising Joe during his residency in Chicago and having someone take our picture in front of Cy Twombly's peonies, our wedding in Violet Perry's backyard in Martha's Vineyard, giving birth to Timby at home on Thanksgiving Day. But standing there in the weak October sun, a different story of our happiness, excuse me, Uh, But standing there in the weak October sun, a different story of our marriage presented itself. It was as if all those years, Joe and I had been followed by a photographer snapping pictures of us unawares. Joe and me reading quietly in bed, Timby playing Legos at our feet. Me looking out the window, seeing Joe and Timby below, walking home from the science center. Me standing on the Gaylor Street lawn in the drizzle, early for pickup. Yo-yo snoring in the living room, so loud none of us could sleep. The three of us sitting on the curb outside Portage Bay, waiting for them to call our name for brunch. I'm sorry. That was happiness, not the framed greatest hits, but the moments between. At the moment, I didn't peg them as being particularly happy. But now, looking back at those phantom snapshots, I'm struck by my calm, my ease, the evident comfort with my life. I'm happy in retrospect. Oh, Joe, take me back, and I promise I'll make love to you twice a week and never eat a bagel on the toilet again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to um, do Q&A now because if just a couple questions, it'll get us to the end because I can talk if you haven't noticed. Um, so does anyone have questions? Um, and then is anyone brave enough to be the first? This is where my friends, you're here. You need to step up. Yes. Yes. In this book or in, in life? Oh, in life, the first thing that I wrote was um, a daily newspaper for when my parents were out at dinner parties uh, and plays. And I would write a newspaper. And uh, my father was a screenwriter. He had an Olympia typewriter. And I would type out on the typewriter um, the events of the household, like um, (laughs) cat eats dinner. Uh, And then I'd draw a picture of it. There was was no uh, take on it. Uh, There was no kind of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was just the few basic things that happened, and then uh, I would I would put it on their pillows uh, for when they got home. Uh, so that that's the first thing I wrote. Other questions? Yes. Maria, uh, in Bernadette, Seattle was a big character. Talk about that in this book. This book, I, I actually think Seattle is. Seattle is, Eleanor is going around Seattle in, in a very real way. And 
I, I it was very important to me to make to literally time out the routes that she was taking, you know, so that I knew that she could go from one place to another. And there's a lot of greatest hits. Um, of Seattle in the book. I just saw that I think Seattle Magazine just did a map of this book of, of Eleanor's Seattle and it hit, it showed all the, her spots and it was, I just, um, I saw it, it was really cute. And, and so Eleanor doesn't have a, a, an antagonistic relationship towards Seattle. She's just in it. She's just really, uh, boots in the mud, kind of going through the day, and Seattle, it's very real, other than the Phantom Costco uh, over uh, by the Magnolia Bridge. Uh, it, it's, all, it, it's all pretty real. And so I, I felt like in Bernadette, you know, the, the weird thing that happens is you write these books, and, and they're, they're very personal to you, and you can you know exactly what they are to you, and then you put them out in the world and they become something else. And I, I never, it never occurred to me I was writing a book about Seattle with Bernadette. It never occurred to me I was writing a book about private school parents or, you know, I, I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, I'm just trying to get this right, trying to get the details right. And so with Bernadette, I, I really, to me, Seattle was kind of a tool. It was, it was, it, it was that she was, mentally, her, her relationship with Seattle was really bad in the beginning, where she blamed Seattle for all of her problems. And then the beginning of the book, she was a victim. And then at the end, she took responsibility. That was kind of my invisible character arc for her. And so by the end, she loves Seattle, because I, I felt like that was a way of showing that she was healthy, you know, that she wasn't in this fight with Seattle. And so with this book, I'd say, I, I, I don't think that Eleanor dislikes Seattle exactly. I think she gets annoyed. She gets annoyed at everything, but, but she, um, you know, she doesn't like the hummus at Jazz Alley. I feel terrible that I put that in, but, um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, you know, so there's things that, you know, no city's perfect, right? There's not every place makes great hummus, but, uh, and you just, sometimes you gotta, you gotta expose it for what it is. Uh, and, and so, so there's, so, but it, so it's just kind of in passing her attitude about things, but you, she has lunch at Mam Noon. There's a lot of, she has breakfast at Lola. There's, I mean, she should be on some dining club program because I mean, she's going to all the, all the restaurants, um, uh, just because I love the restaurants and I want to put all the restaurants in. Uh, I still have not gotten one plate of free food, but um, but hopefully one day. But so so she hits a lot of the good restaurants, and she hits, you know, in Gaylor Street um, in in the beginning of the book, uh, the Gaylor Street School um, from Where Do You Go, Bernadette, is now Bernadette's old house at the top of Timby Goes to School at the Gaylor Street School, which the well, I'd say. If you're if you're smart, you'd recognize it. But now it's if you have hearing, you would recognize it because I'm telling you that the top of the hill where Jimmy goes to school is Gaylor Street School, is 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 um is Bernadette's old house, and so it's been redone and turned into a school. And in fact, Bernadette makes a little cameo that you can you can see her or not. But no, she's just it's just she's not even. You have to really be. You have to. But sorry, gosh, now I feel bad. You're going to be totally let down. <laughs> Is you'll see her in the background, maybe or not. Oh my gosh, I have to quickly put in some edits before the next printing. Um, <laughs> that's some Bernadette hits. Oh my God, what did I do? Uh, so yeah, so so I, I I do love Seattle. You know, I I love it here, and and I I just I, I think that because when I write, um, 
I feel very loose when I write, and I am just throwing anything that happens to me that day. And when I, these books, even this book now, it's still very raw to me, but in two months it'll feel like this snapshot from the past, you know, because just, if I'm writing a book, just be careful about any conversation you have with me, because it's going in the book, you know, and I just, it's just boom, boom, boom. I'm just like, isn't there like a a Muppet chef who's just throwing everything in the the stew? That's kind of what I'm like when I'm writing a book. And so if I'm going around Seattle, or I don't like the hummus at a particular place, you know, it's going to get hurt. So, um, so I'll just throw it in. Um, So, okay, thank you for the question. Yes? Indeed, yes. I didn't like Seattle at first. The question was about not liking Seattle. And, you know, um, well, I, you know, I was going to save this passage for the end, but I'm going to read it now because um, it, it feels like it's asking to be read now. It's just a little piece. Um, this, this kind of answers the question. So Eleanor is from New York. I'm from L.A., but I lived in New York for a long time. Um, and so Eleanor's from New York, and she's, she's uh, originally from New York, and she's talking about when she first moved to Seattle. Right after Joe and I moved to Seattle, we went to the state fair, my first ever. It has since become a tradition. Of course, this native New Yorker was horrified at the parolee vibe and average weight of my fellow milling attendees. Around every corner, teardropped trailers sold raspberry scones. Pride of Washington, the signs beamed. I thought, how sad for Washington State to be proud over so little. (laughs) Such could also be said of the entertainment offered. We were expected to marvel over goats and pens be amazed at vegetables arranged to look like the Washington State flag, (laughs) gather around for jewelry cleaning demos. I must have been on my feet too long, or maybe it was the September heat, but when I saw the genuine delight Joe took in cheering his entry in a pig race, look at that, they're chasing an Oreo. My defenses went kaput. I actually felt at one with the doughy white mass of humanity, these Washingtonians with their guns and Jesus and blue blockers. And I thought, how sad for you, New York City, you self-obsessed crack whore. (laughs) You're you're self-absorbed crack whore with your status-obsessed, edgy, darting eyes, your choked sidewalks, your cancerously reproducing architect designed Prada stores, your breathless yak about real estate prices drowning out all civilized conversation, your deafening restaurants impossible to get into, your cheap TV stores muscling out real talent on Broadway, your smelly streets clogged with blacker SUVs with darker tinted windows faring richer and richer hedge fund creeps, And where does it leave you, still chasing yesterday's high? In that moment, I loved our new life in dumpy Washington State. (laughs) And especially Joe for dragging me here and saving me from my Manhattan-centric worst self. So that's that's the answer to your question. (laughs) 
so yeah, that's kind of how I put it. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you that, that I would say people I like and dislike equally. You know, what, what I do really is that I have my main characters that I always start with, and they're really kind of a version of me. And that's where I start. And then you have to kind of construct um, the world around. I have to construct the world around her for maximum drama, you know, and it can't just be like all these really nice people because then uh, I wouldn't have a story. You know, I want to tell like a page-turning kind of crazy wild story. And so what I do is I start populating the the book with people who are going to push the buttons of my character. And so um, in Bernadette, that would be Audrey, that would be Sue Lin. You know, these were the people. Now, I, and, and how I do it is I usually start with just a, um, like I come up with what I call a handle on the character. Like, you, you know, and often I, I think of it in, um, uh, in, in the negative of the main character. So if Bernadette is iconoclastic and doesn't care what people think, Audrey really cares what people think and and cares above all, will go out of her way to conform. And so when you put those two in a room together, you're going to get tension and you're going to get, you know, there's story possibility there for them to clash. And so, you know, when, when it comes to the negative characters, if you say, it's not like purely I say, oh, here's a really bad person that I'm putting in my book. I'm really thinking in terms of this, this story potential. And, and often what I'm doing is I'm boiling it down to the essence of somebody. You know, if it's, and, and I'd say in, in almost every case, the people I'm writing about wouldn't even recognize necessarily th- themselves in it. You know, it's just a very specific taste, take. Like, um, and, and often I would say that, that Audrey... To, to go to where you go, Bernadette, for instance, is someone who I really relate to. Like, I feel like I am Audrey, you know? And, and in this book, the, the antagonist would be, um, in, in a way, a former colleague of Eleanor's, and I feel like I'm very much the former colleague of Eleanor's. I wrote that from a very personal point of view. So I'd say yes, that, that, that I do, you have, to, you have to put the negative in your book. You know, I really think that you do. I think you wouldn't have a story if there were not flawed people. I mean, that's, I think, the better way of looking at it is what is the character flaw. And I think everyone has character flaws, so you want to try to, in a, in a, like a mad scientist, you want to get the cocktails of the character flaws, you know, combined so it, it feels really explosive. Yes? Yes. Well, I. Um, yes, they. Th- I mean, I think that, that that as I'm writing it, it's certainly George and Poppy. Um, they know what I'm writing, and they know. I think they know enough that I'm writing not them because the scenario is so different. You know, I really do. I mean, I think I'm kind of making too much of how 
auto, I mean, I, I read too, like, pretty autobiographical parts right now, but, but the stories are so different. You know, the stories of the characters are different and the circumstances are different. And none of that is autobiographical. And so I think that, um, I, I do ask them, you know, I do say I'm going to write this and that's okay. And they're very game and very supportive, I will say. And they're very nice about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I would not, I wouldn't put it in without asking them. But, but, um, and yeah, they, I mean, Poppy, you haven't finished this book, right? No, she's, she's, yeah, look at her shaking her head. No, and she, (laughs) Bernadette, I think she wasn't particularly smitten by either. So she's just don't have a fan in the household. Um, but, uh, but so if she, if she would read the books, then I would ask her what she thought of her depiction in them. But I guess that we won't be having that conversation. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that a lot of it is, is, is kind of the emotion that, that I'm feeling that, that I feel like belongs to me. And then I kind of put it on uh, a scenario that doesn't necessarily line up with, with reality. But, but I have some very game people in the house. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, so the question is about Antarctica and where you go, Bernadette. And yes, I did go to Antarctica. And so what that was about was that when I was uh, writing Where'd You Go, Bernadette, I just, um, uh, I just moved to Seattle. We just started a new school. And I um, was going to Antarctica because we travel a lot. And I like taking cool trips. And there's one person who I trust more than anybody who just said, I came back from the best place I've ever been, and it was Antarctica. And so I thought, okay, let's figure out how to go there. So we were planning on going to Antarctica. And then when I would tell people at school, right when we first moved from L.A., and they were like, I guess, I don't know what, what they were doing for Christmas, but when I said I was going to Antarctica, they just, I think they just felt like punching me, you know? I don't know. And so... And so when I was starting to write about this outsider, I thought, oh, I should just make her go to Antarctica because apparently it really pisses people off in Seattle <laughs> when you go to Antarctica for Christmas. And so, um, and so I just kind of, I just thought that would be a fun place to start, you know, and I didn't really think much of it, you know. I just, again, it was like just threw in some spice. Hey, I'll just, I throw in some Antarctica. And, and, I, had some, and I had some social anxiety about the Antarctica because the way Bernadette did, and she starts out having social anxiety, and it was, you know, it was like, oh, this incredible opportunity, and what a privilege to go, and I was like, do we have to sit with people for dinner, because I'm not going, you know, and now, and so, and so I used that part of myself in it, you know, and so I kind of constructed it, and I didn't know really where the narrative was going at that point, uh, but I just kind of pointed the family in the direction of Antarctica. And then during, then I went to Antarctica in the middle of writing it. I do write in order, you know, so I was maybe halfway through. And then when we went down there, I really loved it. And I wasn't, I, I really was open. I didn't, I, I, you're down there and you're not thinking about your book. It's just really trippy and, you know, beautiful. And you're thinking about a lot of other stuff. And then, and then this thing happened where, um, I left the boat to go on a zodiac, you know, a little zodiac trip, as we all do. And then when I came back, then when I came back, there was a, I scanned my my ID card, and it it, it said go see the front desk because you scan on the way out and scan on the way in. And then I went in and I said, oh, they told me to come up, and they said, 
well, your ID didn't scan, um, the boat didn't know you left. And then the TV writer in me, you know, the plot person in me went, oh, the boat doesn't know I left. I think maybe I can use that. You know, so that, that kind of was my only reason. I don't think if it was for that encounter with my scanning card at the front desk, I would have even put the novel in that direction, you know. But it just, I thought that was such an ingenious and real moment that I could possibly use. And then the whole narrative kind of spun um, out from that moment. You know, so, yeah, I loved it, and I'm glad. Um, it, yeah, it was one of those things I just threw in, and I'm, and I'm very glad. You know, I went, and I thought, oh, I better take notes when I'm down here. Um, and then when I really did use Antarctica, I was like, oh, good, I have that notebook. And then the notebook had, like, three lines in it. It had nothing in it. <laughs> I was so mad at myself, so I had to close my eyes and really try to remember. So that was, that was hard. Um, yes? No, don't ask me that. What are you, my mother? No, I, no. Isn't this enough for you? Come on. This is my second speaking thing about this book. Come on, give me a break. Um, no, I'll tell you, well, first of all, just to really annoy you, is it only took me about a year to write this book because I'm a really fast writer, and it took me a year to write Bernadette and a year to write this book. And so what I do is I speed through a first draft, and that takes about three months and then I take a time off, and then just rewrite, then take time off, then rewrite. And, and I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I don't start writing until I really feel like I have a lot of energy. And, and I know that's why it was important for me for Bernadette to kind of tap into that vein. And with this book, too, you know, I really wasn't going to sit down and try to you know, um, just invent something out of nothing. I needed it to come from this deep place. And once I wrote that first page, and it really made me sick. It made me just sicken with myself and upset, you know, that like, uh, that, and, and it felt like very risky to write that book, you know, because it really was pushing up against why would anyone care, or someone who has no real problems, and it seemed like such a, such a um, a suicide mission, you know, to write that book that I, that I got excited about it, you know, because you have to, you know, go, oh, why, what am I doing? I've lost my mind, you know, and I like having that kind of energy. And so, um, so, so, so it didn't take me very long. And what, what I think I'm going to do now is take about two years off or maybe three years off. And then, but, you know, I say that and then hex many years from now, I will the story will be, so I thought I was going to take three years off to write a book. I mean, you, you just don't know how it's going to work, but all I do know is I'm not writing a book right now. I'm tired is what I am, and I'm watching Donald Trump on TV is what's going on right now. So, yeah, there's no books being written right now. Yes? Do you have a favorite character you've ever written? A favorite character I've ever written? Um, uh, well, weirdly... One of my favorite characters, only because I think she's really, really funny, and no one, no one gets her, I think, is I really like Sue Lin. 
because I think she's so dull. It just makes me laugh so hard. Like, I just love how dull and conventional she is. And I just, there's something about her that just makes me so happy. And every time, and, and she really is the beast of burden, as I just came to think of her, and where'd you go, Bernadette? She was the one, really, who told most of that story, just because it was an epistolary novel, and it was very hard to figure out who would be in the room for what. And so she ended up being this kind of character that went from Bernadette's life to Microsoft and kind of knew all of it. And so I loved writing her just because she cracked me up, you know, as I just thought anytime I got back to Sulin's voice, I was just laughing my ass off at the computer, just just out of spite for her and her conventionality. Um, but but in terms of um emotion, I mean I think I think really the my favorite characters, if I if if I think of them would have to be the um it would have to be Bernadette and Eleanor, you know, this one. I think the ones, it would have to be, just because I, I do have enormous amount of sympathy for them because I have so much self-pity for myself. So it, <laughs> it works out nicely that way. Yes. Um, it was really touching for me to see you choke up a little bit when you were reading. I know, sorry about that. No, yeah, okay. I mean, I think it's just what I've been talking about, you know? I mean, I get, um, uh, you know, I think that, that when, I, I think that I, I'm just, I, I try to be very honest in the book with myself in, in, a, in a way, and, and, the, and I do have a lot of sadness over the way I've conducted myself, I would say, you know, and I do put that in the book, you know, and I put it out there, and I think that when I, when, when I read it, you know, the thing that, that, that was choking me up was the thing about, um, it was, and, and it's actually not an idea of mine. I went on a, um, on a, a Buddhist retreat with this, um, um, Buddhist teacher called, um, Bob Thurman, Robert Thurman. I don't know if you know me, people probably read his books. He's a Tibetan Buddhist guy. And I went to, um, India with him and he was talking about nirvana and he was saying that what nirvana is, is it's you looking at yourself in old photographs and you see how happy you were. And it really killed me because um, you, and, and it, it's kind of an elusive thing, but I always had this idea where I, and, and, and that idea um, made me very sad, you know, to think like, yes, you're happy and you don't know it. And, at, and then at the time... I, I'd had this title that I thought was funny, which was, um, uh, but it's like kind of a dumb jokey title for like a column or something, but I thought it would be funny to have something called thin in retrospect, right? Because you just always can't believe how thin you were, right? And so, um, and so just like, so I just, I thought that would be like my biography, like my autobiography. I would just call it thin in retrospect. Like, what was I complaining about? I was so thin, you know? And so, so, so then when I, when I heard that Bob Thurman thing and I was writing it, I just thought, oh, happy in retrospect. That's another way of putting it. I'd had this kind of thin in retrospect kind of bouncing around my head for 20 years, you know? And then, so that the happy in retrospect, there's something that's like very sad to me about that. And I think that that's what I choked up about when I read it. I'd never read that part out loud. And, uh, and it just kind of, you know, 
made me again wistful, you know, for realizing that I'm every moment of my life I'm happy, but I'm unhappy, you know, and that's kind of what the what the book is about as someone who has all the tools of happiness and has everything available to them to be a happy person and yet somehow they don't live in that place, you know, so yeah. Just to bum everyone out. Yeah. <laughs> Just like to do that every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, uh, Ber- oh, Bernadette. Yeah. Very much so. And, and I'll tell you the, the quick kind of sketch of it is with Bernadette. Um, she's someone who th- thinks she's special, right? That she's an individual, that she thinks she's better than other people. That's how she defines herself in relation to everyone. And that's like what she hangs on to. And so I knew that that was my handle on her. You know, I talk about what's the handle, that she needs to be better than everyone. She needs to look different. She needs to, you know, um, express her superiority. That's like her, her, um, her character flaw, let's call it. And so what I knew, all I knew was, uh, is, is that I knew I wanted the last word of the book to be, the two words of the book to be your mom because I wanted her to become anonymous at the end of the book and to kind of be rubbed out, you know, her individuality. And I, and I think that it's a letter to be, that, to be where she says, and remember, I'm always, comma, your mom. And that just makes me cry. I mean, that's like very sad to me because it's about that that's, it's her realizing she's not special. All she is is a mother. And, and to be a mother is really not extraordinary at all, but it, it obviously is the healing you know, it, it, it's what heals her that she realizes she's a mother and that she, and that when she accepts that and kind of, to me, I think it also ties into creativity is that I think that as an artist, I think that you have to be kind of anonymous. I think that you have to, um, it's a, it's a tension between wanting to put your will on the world, but also feeling, you know, that you want to just, um, put your head down and kind of do your work quietly, you know, and so that actually relates to Eleanor, which, you know, people haven't read the book, but but she starts out at a place of self-will, like that's really, that was her thing, today will be different, you know, it's today will be different, you know, it's like she is forcing her will onto the world, and and I knew that I wanted to end the book on God's will, you know, I wanted her to not be self-willed at the end, you know, and the self-will, God's will is kind of a program thing, I'm, you know, you, or, or whatever it is. There's a lot of different ways of putting it. It's, it's, it's um, you know, attachment, non-attachment in, in Buddhism, you know, that's a, so, it, so she starts out attached and she goes to non-attachment, you know, and that's what I, that's all I knew is I knew the, the and, and I don't know that, that, readers would know that, you know, I don't think, I mean, not that anyone's going to be a student of my books, but if they were, I don't think they could have come up, they could come up with those because it's so, it's just so what, 
it's it's just my fuel, you know what I mean? And so I don't think that, that I don't make a point of it. I don't try to hit it home. I never articulate that in any way. There's never like the thesis statement anywhere in the book that says that about, about Eleanor or about Bernadette. But I just know that as a writer, that's like where the the... the the arrow has come out of the bow. You know, it's going up, and it's it's starting here. It's going up, and it's going to end in non-attachment. You know, or it's or the Tao. You know, or whatever whatever the the letting go is. There's a lot of different versions of it. That that's what it would be. So that's kind of how I do it. Now, I'll, one more question. I'm sorry, I don't want to. We have we have. There's who knows what could have happened on CNN while we were all sitting here. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, um, okay, yes. Yeah, the Bernadette movie is the question. So, you know, I wish I could talk more about it, but I'll tell you I'm a producer on the movie, and it's, I'm very excited about it, and we are close to, I think, closing deals with uh, the team, and it, I'm just so annoyed. I called them, and I was like, can't I tell them? And I just can't because the deals aren't made, and you just, I would, it would, it would not be cool if I was sitting here and blabbing about the intricacies of the deals being made right now. But, um, but no, I think we are going to have a movie. It looks like, you know, I mean, and you say this and nothing ever works out, but it does actually feel like it's, I, I know a little bit about the business, and I feel like we are actually on the road. But I can't announce anything. I'm so annoyed. You can maybe look it up on the Internet. Okay. <laughs> but you didn't hear it from me. Okay, so that's it. I could be up here all night, but please, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. Maria Semple's new novel is Today Will Be Different. She spoke at Town Hall Seattle on October 8, 2016. Her appearance was sponsored by the Elliott Bay Book Company. Thank you again to Sonia Harris for our recording. Tune in again soon.